Welcome, 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 welcome to the Modern Medicine Movement Podcast with Dr. Thomas Hemingway. Woo! Let's go. All right. <laughs> uh, so grateful, guys, to be back another week, another podcast. Oh, super pumped this week. I'm actually going deep <laughs> in my studies. I've been studying with the uh, Institute of Functional Medicine, IFM, just uh, increasing my knowledge, getting advanced degrees, and just this amazing stuff that's really, I think, holds the key to our best health ever, which is this sort of integrative functional approach, which I've been studying for years, but I'm focusing on, on the programs offered by the Institute of Functional Medicine right now because I just really feel like they hone in really well on sort of some key areas in health and wellness. And so actually this, this week I'm at a conference virtually. I, I, um, it's, I'm grateful for that, the, the possibility that we can do these things virtually now, but a conference on energy, right? We all want more energy. <laughs> I know, I know I always do. Like I, <laughs> I have a lot of energy, but I always want more. And I, I don't know that I've ever had a patient come to me and complain, doc, I, I just hate this. I have so much energy. I'm getting so much done. I feel amazing. I feel great. Nothing hinders me. Like, I don't think I've seen that patient yet. <laughs> so today we're going to get all into that. We're going to get all into energy and <laughs> It's going to be awesome. But I, I wanted to just thank you guys. I've been getting some, some reviews on Apple lately that have just tickled my heart. I've, I read each and every one of them. So just please, if you haven't done it already, submit a review. It's super easy, especially on Apple. You just hit that little button to the right where it says the five stars, the star farthest to the right, and it's that little square that looks like it's got a pencil coming out the top right-hand corner, and just write a quick review. I promise you I read every one, and they just keep me pumped. They keep me going. They keep me excited to keep doing this, guys, to keep doing this right now. And I'm going two years strong, no sponsors. I'm not getting any money from anybody to do this. And I, I, I'm powered by you guys, by your reviews, your positive energy, that you're getting value here. So please, please, please drop a review if you haven't already on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I would super appreciate it or tag me on Instagram or Facebook, wherever you follow me or what have you. I would just love to see those positive reviews of how this is helping you and feel free obviously to share with friends and family because I just I love seeing what value this adds to your life and how you're living better healthier happier and hopefully with more energy because we're going to get all into that today I I'm so grateful to be here with you once again Dr. Thomas Hemingway we're going to be sharing with you all things energy today and I just this topic just gets me excited because you know, all throughout our lives, like that's the one thing that just keeps us fueled, keeps us happy, keeps us going. Like who here has ever watched a three, four, five-year-old? Like they literally have a spring in their step. My daughter, for example, she's four, my youngest. I got six kids, many of you guys know, and that's, uh, that's my secret to youth and longevity right there is just keeping up with the six kids. <laughs> My oldest has already graduated from high school and done a couple of years of college, and my second is in college as well, but my baby is four years old, and she has so much stinking energy. Like, literally, I was watching her the other day, and she doesn't even walk. Like, everywhere she goes, she is skipping. She is bouncing. She literally has a spring in her step, and it's, it's just incredible, and I hope at the end of this podcast, you'll have several of these takeaways that will really give you that info that you need, you know, where the so-called rubber meets the road. So you can just apply a couple of things in your life to get that energy back into your life because we can always use a little bit more. In fact, you know, just uh, studying this week with the Institute uh, for Functional Medicine, IFM, I've gleaned a couple additional pearls. Most of the stuff I knew already, but you know, it's always great to get reinforced. The cool thing is there's so much new data on this topic. When I was in medical school over 20 years ago, all we sort of talked about was that super preliminary kind of superficial stuff was, yeah, we got these things called mitochondria. They are the powerhouses of the cell, right? That's where the energy, almost all the energy you have in your body, most of it, 90 some odd percent of it is manufactured, made, processed. And these little power plants, you could call them, called the mitochondria. 
we knew that, and we knew what they look like on an electron microscope, the inner membrane, the folding, the cristae, the, the stuff that went on in there, that stuff called the Krebs cycle, that if you've been there in some kind of professional school situation, you had to memorize all the steps and how between 36 and 38 ATP are created in this process, and then the electron transport chain that occurs, and how you get this hydrogen or proton gradient, and how you get energy, right? This ADP, adenosine diphosphate, needs to be converted into ATP, adenosine triphosphate, because that's what holds the energy. It's the energy currency. It's that, that zap, that zest, that vitality that we all want comes from that ATP. And this all happens primarily in the mitochondria. And so wouldn't you think it would be super important to get that mitochondria really, really healthy? Like, duh, right? <laughs> we got to keep the mitochondria healthy. And so to do that, we're going to get all into that today. We're going to talk about these mitochondria. We're going to talk about how we can get them healthy. And it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. I, <laughs> I can't wait to share it with you because it's really something that I just, I, I've been in awe, both scientifically, how this stuff happens on the molecular level. And then now in the year 2022, there's just so much more information on this important, you know, mitochondrial health that I don't think we were really focusing on in years past. The, um, the mitochondrial health is something that we just didn't really know about as far as the specifics. You know, we knew some sort of basic health principles, which also apply to mitochondria, but there's way more specifics. And one of the first books I read on this was that cool book by, um, I think uh, some of you guys may have read it. It's called Fat for Fuel. Uh, <laughs> it's a great book and it's one that I've always recommended. It's probably a decade old. Um, but what I like about that book, Fat for Fuel, is it starts with sort of a good deep dive into mitochondria, you know, their purpose and how you can fuel them, not only efficiently, but with the stuff that actually not only gives tons of energy and, and in the title, right, it kind of gives this away, fat for fuel. <laughs> the fat actually provides way more energy, right, than carbohydrates. Rather than four kilocalories per gram, it's like nine, you know, double basically, a little bit more than double the amount of energy per gram of fats, but not just any fats, right? We want healthy fats. We want the real fats that come from nature, not the stuff that man whom maybe thought he or she was better than nature manufactured, you know, these vegetable oils. Hey, they're plant-based, right? Vegetable oils. They're cleaner. The margarines, like all that, that's garbage. That's crap. That's not the kind of fat I'm talking about. I'm talking about avocados. I'm talking about nuts and seeds. I'm talking about the fat in well-pasture-raised you know, running around in the wild animals that have fat and grizzle. It's okay to eat that stuff, especially if they've been grass-fed and finished and eaten the stuff that they're supposed to eat, not being fed with grains and oats and sprinkles, heaven forbid, but we know that that does happen, right? <laughs> so Fat for Fuel, Dr. Mercola wrote this book maybe a decade ago, and he goes into how fats are a better energy source, not just because they provide more, but also my favorite part is they burn much cleaner. So let's just think back to the days before Tesla and before electronic vehicles, before the hybrids, where we just had gasoline-powered engines, right? Most of you guys remember that. So back in those days, we burned basically gasoline for fuel. And a byproduct of that, right, we get heat, we get energy, but we also get carbon dioxide, water, and then whatever soot or crap comes out of the tailpipe, right? You put your you know, a white shirt or white something, you know, at the end of that, especially if it's diesel burning a lot of sooty, you know, you get all this black stuff, right, that comes out of the tailpipe. That's kind of the, we'll just call it soot or the byproduct. So when you, in the body, in the mitochondria, the engines also have some soot. They have some byproducts, some kind of, I don't know, we could call them toxins or let's just call it soot that comes out, the byproducts when we, when we burn, fat or carbohydrates or protein, we have a little bit of exhaust. Let's just call it exhaust, right? The sooty stuff that comes out. And when we burn healthy fats, right? The avocados, these nuts and seeds and the, the favorite, right, of the Mediterraneans, the extra virgin, you know, just pressed, basically nearly unprocessed, just the pressed olive oil. I have lived most of my life 20 almost 30 years in Hawaii. So we have lots of coconuts. We love to eat the meat out of the coconut and the coconut oils. We love macadamias, tons of fat in there, natural fat, the oil from that, and just the nuts themselves. These are the awesome, healthy, natural fats that burn in the mitochondria. The fats burn clean. 
they hardly have any emission. They're kind of like the Tesla in that they're basically no emission or very little emission because they burn so clean. So these are the healthy fats. That's why he entitles his book Fat for Fuel, because when you burn carbohydrates, especially the really refined, crappy ones that come in those three Bs that I talk about, that they come in a bag or a box or with a barcode, anything that's highly refined, processed grain, sugar, or these carbs, they burn actually really dirty. Imagine their exhaust looks more like the exhaust that comes out of the tailpipe of a a diesel, real sooty, real black, real just kind of heavy. Lots of exhaust coming out of these poor quality foods. What I like to call humbly (laughs) food-like substances because honestly, it's not real food, right? I mean, you look at the label, there might be 50 ingredients, maybe 45 of them. You don't know what they are. They sound like they should be in a chemistry lab. Well, I'm telling you, They probably should not be in your mouth or your stomach or in your intestines or anywhere in your body because when you eat all that garbage, you will feel it the next day. I know I do. You know, once in a while, I'll be honest, I might have an Oreo cookie once a month or something or or whatever, like if it was crushed on my favorite type of ice cream or something like that, I might do that a couple times a year. And like, I feel it the next day. My joints hurt. I'm achy. Well, what is that? That is inflammation inflammation it's my body telling me something that hey that stuff that you ate you know yesterday that bowl of ice cream you had in the evening had some oreo cookies crushed on top like that ain't good for you it burned dirty right lots of exhaust lots of what we call reactive oxygen species these are the ros the reactive oxygen these are those free radicals as we call them in the body that are very damaging why are they damaging because they are super super inflammatory they because they, they basically are missing an electron, they can bind to almost anything and cause lots of havoc, lots of damage, lots of inflammation, right? And that's why we want to eat things that have antioxidants to help protect us because those are electron donors. And not to get too sciencey, but basically they can give an electron to these free radicals and make them kind of stable so that they're not so reactive and they don't cause so much inflammation. Now, what I'm not saying here is that eat all the Oreos you want as long as you have a bunch of berries and healthy, you know, um, cruciferous vegetables, right? Like broccoli and Brussels sprouts. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying eat garbage and then uh, sort of (laughs) chase it with, uh, you know, a cup of broccoli. I'm not saying that. I'm saying primarily eat the real whole foods, at least 80, 85, 90% of your diet. And if you want to have an Oreo once a month or rarely or once a week or whatever, just Try to keep that to a minimum. And you know what I found is that I honestly don't even crave these kind of highly processed foods anymore. Like I still have a, a liking, the taste for like ice cream, for example, I still like, but I almost never crave it because I've changed my diet overall and my gut, you know, is healthy. The microbiota living in my intestinal tract is healthy and it actually craves the good stuff. It wants the Brussels sprouts. It wants, the, you know, the cauliflower and the broccoli and the broccoli sprouts and the asparagus, and it, it wants these things. And so that's actually what I crave. And so over time, your cravings will change. But what I was getting at here is that when we eat these highly processed, especially the carbohydrates, especially fructose, and gosh, one of these, please eliminate things from the diet right here. Write it down. Put it on your list. Don't eat anything with high fructose corn syrup. I've mentioned this before, and I did a whole podcast talking about this in liver disease, the the new most common reason for liver transplant, which is non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, is uh, essentially a problem of eating too much sugar. And the highly processed sugars like the high fructose corn syrup. In fact, I wanted to share with you a study that was done. This is one of the original ones. This is several years old, but it looked at fructose in diets and how it damaged the mitochondria. And this was published in Nutrients in 2017. Fructose-rich diets affect mitochondrial DNA and repair in rats. So this this was a a rat study, but hey, they got to start somewhere, right? And they're an easy subject. In 2017, there's been uh, additional ones, but this is one of the hallmark ones that came out that showed that not only did this stuff cause fatty liver disease, especially affected the liver, but it affected, the way that it did that was it affected the mitochondria. The mitochondria are so critical. Remember, they produced all the energy, basically, the majority of the energy in the body, the powerhouse, the power plant of the cell, the mitochondria. Well, it damaged not only the mitochondria itself, their functioning, caused more inflammation, but it also damaged the DNA. 
and the ability to repair that DNA. And so not only did it make them, the mitochondria, those powerhouses not function properly, but it inhibited their ability to be able to regenerate. And that's really important because one of the reasons, like say for example, my young daughter, who if you're watching the YouTube, you might've seen her, she just walked in and out um, and she was bouncing around. She has more mitochondria per you know, overall body mass than I do because at a younger age, you just have more mitochondria. And as you age, the mitochondrial numbers go down. Most of it's our fault. It's because of what we do. <laughs> it's because of our crappy light and diet and our maybe not so awesome lifestyle choices that come up over the years. But in young kids, one of the reasons they're bouncing around with so much energy is because they have more mitochondria sort of per body mass as well as better functioning mitochondria. It just it works better. They have less inflammation less damage because we got years, I got nearly 50 years of damage on mine, whatever I've done over the years, whether it be through diet or lack of a healthy behavior. Like for me, many years, my sort of Achilles heel of health was my lack of sleep. I just didn't sleep much. Now I'm bouncing off the walls and I'm more energized than ever, but I'm sleeping seven and often eight hours a night. And I cherish that. And I love that. And that's also just as an aside, it's interesting, this conference I'm attending, they're really targeting sleep. And we're talking all about energy, energy production, mitochondrial health, you know, getting these powerhouses as healthy as possible. And one of the biggest ways and most, I would say, simple and efficient ways is just getting high quality sleep each and every night or most nights, seven or eight hours of sleep, restful, rejuvenative, you know, quality sleep every night is really a great way to increase your mitochondrial health and get more energy. So mitochondrial health is directly related to our sleep. In fact, I would say humbly that through my experience, sleep, both in myself and in thousands and thousands of patients that I've seen, when I, when I actually get the history and we talk about sleep and how their sleep is, their sleep, the quality of that is usually in part a reflection of their overall health. So if somebody is sleeping really poorly, and although their diet may be decent, they may be doing some exercise, they're still not as healthy as they could be because they're missing that important step to not only improve their overall health, but really their mitochondrial health. And mitochondrial health is so important because that helps us to have the energy to do all the other stuff, right? If we feel like we don't have any energy, we wake up in the morning, like we're not going to want to do any exercise if we have no energy. And if we don't have healthy mitochondria, we just feel like we don't have any energy. You've heard of chronic fatigue syndrome, right? fibromyalgia, all these chronic conditions, a big part of that is lack of energy, which is basically mitochondrial health that has depreciated or mitochondrial health that is waning, that's not as healthy as it needs to be. And also the numbers of mitochondria will be down. So today we're going to be talking about not only how to get the mitochondria we've got healthy, but how to actually increase the number of mitochondria, because we can actually do that. Believe it or not, we can, even as we're getting older, increase our numbers of mitochondria. And there's a couple of real simple ways to be able to do that. And we're going to get into that. But the reason I, I want to put so much emphasis on this is the mitochondria is what keeps us alive, right? It produces the energy that we need each and every day, all throughout the day. And if our mitochondria are not healthy, this is part of that root of most, if not all, of those inflammatory diseases out there, right? The base problem with all these illnesses is inflammation. I did an entire podcast, maybe two or three, talking deeply about inflammation because it's at the heart of all of those conditions that plague us and that kill us, right? Number one killer worldwide is heart disease. And it primarily at its root, it's an inflammatory disease, right? The blood vessels get inflammation, the walls get scarred, they get narrowed, and they block the flow to the brain, you get a stroke, to the heart, you get a heart attack, to the kidneys, you get kidney disease, right? All of these issues are inflammatory. All of the rheumatologic conditions, think about uh, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, Sjogren's, even many autoimmune conditions, Hashimoto's, for example, um, are caused by inflammation, right? It's a thyroiditis, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is inflammation of the thyroid. So at the root of nearly all chronic disease from heart disease, even diabetes, especially type 2 diabetes, which is basically 100% preventable and treatable and, I never heard this in medical school, but and curable. Type 2 diabetes is potentially curable. 
Isn't that awesome? Like how powerful is that to know? Because almost one in two Americans, nearly 50% of us, the most recent statistic I just got today was like 40 something percent of us in the US have either diabetes or near or pre-diabetes. Like almost 50% of us, almost one in two people. This is crazy. And type two diabetes is nearly all preventable, but it's also curable. And we'll talk about that a little bit here. And, and part of the issue rests in the mitochondria. And what happens there with respect to diabetes is typically there's too much glucose or carbohydrate consumption. And it's usually in the form of highly processed foods. In fact, um, a recent study from 2019 showed that in the US, our diet on average consists of not just processed food, but highly processed food in the range of about 50% of our diet. So this is stuff that comes in a bag, a box with a barcode, tons of ingredients, and it involves lots of processed grains, flours, you know, these crappy sugars and carbs and high fructose corn syrup and all this stuff composes standard American diet, which is the sad diet. Nearly 50% of that is in highly processed carbohydrates. It's astounding. It's super sad, but we can change that. We can change that. And if we do, we can get our mitochondria more healthy. We can get more of them as well. And we can get more energy. So not surprisingly that at the root of basically every disease is inflammation. And inflammation not only is at the root there, but it's at the root of the mitochondrial dysfunction that occurs when we can't produce the amount of energy that we need or we want because of that same inflammation that's occurring at the level of the mitochondria happening because of our food choices. Like 2019, a study came out and it basically showed that, uh, I forget, 11 million, it might've been more, but roughly 11 million people die per year based on poor food choices. Like literally when you see the effects of poor food choices and all the chronic diseases that they either help cause or exacerbate, it's basically the number one cause of death, poor food choices. Like it's that important. Think about that for a second. Food choices, your food choices. But the flip side, I always like to think of the glass is half full. The cool part is we have the ability to change that. Only we get to decide what lands at the tip of our fork or in our mouth. We get to decide that each and every day. And for me, it's one of my favorite parts of the day. I love to eat. I've always been described as a good eater. And so if you've ever sat down to <laughs> dinner with me, like I'm eating what's on my plate. If you guys can't finish your food, I'll eat that too. Like I'm a great eater. And especially if it's whole, real, fresh foods, like, oh my gosh, I am just grinding. That's what we say in Hawaii. Ne. We just grind the killer grinds because it just tastes so dang good. And for me, it's that stuff from the field, the natural stuff, the real stuff, the stuff without the three B's, right? Without the bag, the box, or a barcode. And as we choose to eat these real foods, our mitochondria will be more healthy. So that study I, I mentioned <laughs> about the fructose in the rats, that actually came out of Italy. Um, and they were on a 30% fructose uh, diet. And here in the US, I would say we have probably more of that happening more than 30%, right? Because if you look at all the highly refined stuff that we're eating that makes up almost 50% of our diet, almost all of it's going to have some form of fructose or high fructose corn syrup, which is even worse, even worse. And so we got to eliminate, put that on your list. Like I mentioned, eliminate altogether high fructose corn syrup. Like don't buy any product has that. These are actually more common than you would think, like even in some stuff that you would never think even possible, they'll sneak it in there. You know, these so-called healthy bars will have corn syrup or, or the, my favorite is like, I don't remember the name of it. I think it used to be called log cabin or Aunt Jemima or something. I forget, but um, <laughs> the number one ingredient, even now on the bottle, or it might be number two, I forget, but it says on the bottle, no high fructose corn syrup. And then the number one or two ingredient is guess what? Corn syrup. So like, don't buy that crap. Buy the pure, if you want to buy syrup at all, buy the pure maple syrup. That's just natural, comes off the tree, right? The Canadians know how to do that. You kind of slice the tree a certain way and it just drips into there, pure maple syrup or honey, natural honey. I personally, I kind of like honey and I like that it not only is sweet, but it has also a lot of cool stuff. Like those bees, 
Have you guys ever seen a, the, the B movie? Like shout out to the B movie. That's one of my kids' favorites. It's actually really true how important bees are. Like we don't think about it. We don't give them thanks enough for what they do. But like the pollination that occurs, like the cross-pollination and whatnot, like literally it's responsible for the majority of our food. And without bees, like we'd be dead. We need our bees. But the other cool part besides the pollination is like the honey. Like honey is awesome because it's sweet, it's natural, and it has a bunch of nutrients too, depending on where these bees have gone and what plants they've been on and all this kind of stuff. There's lots of nutrients associated with honey as well. And it makes a good natural antiseptic, right? If you get a cut and you put instead of the really you know, super chemical derived ointments that are out there like Neosporin, like please never buy that. Um, I don't know if I just said that, but don't buy. <laughs> because a lot of people actually have an allergy to the neomycin in there and it's just really harsh, really kind of toxic, really harsh. Well, just you could put potentially some honey on there. There's actually a lot of bactericidal um, and bacteriostatic, which means it kind of prevents bacteria just in the qualities of honey. I learned this as a kid. Like my dad, he, he it was amazing. Like I don't consider him you know, the healthiest guy in the world, but he, he had some pretty healthy stuff that he taught me. One was exercise. I loved to exercise and he loved to play basketball with us. We'd jump on the trampoline together. He didn't surf, so I can't credit him with my surfing. But, but one of the things that he did, my brother burned his hands really bad as a kid and he put honey all over it. And to this day, like, it's amazing. He had third degree burns all over both hands. They were really bad. And it literally, it almost healed with no scars, which is almost unheard of because it didn't get infected and he got honey slathered all over it like that was our um, ointment that we used we didn't use neosporin neomycin bacitracin like we didn't use any of those things we just used honey worked phenomenally anyway ask your doctor about it um, or do some research on your own about it but i digress but honey is awesome i love honey um, i don't drink it out of the bottle or anything you know just a little dab will do you kind of thing <laughs> but it's super uh it's one of my favorite sweeteners, I got to be honest. I, I love just the natural stuff. Try to wait, uh, stay away from anything that sounds like a chemical, like certainly the, the aspartames and the NutraSweets, the sucralose, all that kind of stuff, 100% these artificial ones I stay away from. But there's some other kind of sneaky ones, the sugar alcohols that I just, I don't think they're totally awesome. I'd rather have something that's just real, right? Like honey or monk fruit or... For example, even just the leaf of the stevia plant, super, super sweet. Like I, I prefer those three over, over some others. Um, but anyway, that's not only because I like the taste, but because they don't mess with my gut. And your gut is so important to your overall health. I would, I would also say that in my experience, the health of the gut, like sleep, the health of your sleep and your sleep habits and your sleep is sort of a an indicator of your overall health. Well, gut health, in my experience, is that way too. Like the health of one's gut, it plays into every aspect of their health. So let's talk more about some of the things we can do to help our mitochondria. So we've talked about some of the things that hurt it, crappy food selection, especially the highly processed stuff, the sugars, the fructose, the high fructose corn syrup we're going to try to avoid. But also if we just eat too much, <laughs> eating too much, just higher calories than we really need. It's been shown actually in the last 20, 30 years since the induction of all of these highly available processed foods that now compose of almost 50% of our diet, that we on average eat five to 600 more calories per day than I did as a kid growing up. And I'll be honest, like we hardly had anything that came in a bag. Like I would go to school and I always, I was embarrassed because I didn't have the Cheetos or the Doritos or the uh, fruit leathers or fruit snacks or whatever we had available in those days. I always had, every day my lunch was pretty boring. It was a tuna fish sandwich on some kind of a wheat bread and an apple or some kind of a piece of fruit. Like that was my lunch every single day. And I, I literally, it, it kind of makes me sad thinking about it. Like I have these memories as a kid, I would hold, and this is legit and I don't think I've ever told this story. I would hold my bag underneath the table because I just was embarrassed to show what I had in my lunch. And honestly, I was eating the healthiest of all the kids, but you know, you always want what you don't have, right? My friends were eating the juice boxes with the 0% juice in the juice, and they had the chips and Cheetos and Oreos and, and fruit snacks, fruit leather, whatever. And what I had, I had a tuna fish sandwich and an apple. <laughs> and I was better for it. And, thank, and I blessed my mom's heart for, for looking out for me that way. Um, but it was actually, and people say it's too expensive to eat healthy. 
she told me it was actually cheaper to eat that way. We had, I come from a family of six kids. My wife and I have six kids. I don't know, it wasn't planned that way, but it, hey, just went down that way and we love it. It's amazing. But she told me that it was cheaper to feed us that way than to buy all these different snack foods and whatever else. And so it can be done. It could be done then. It still can be done now, but it, 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 it requires a little bit of preparation. I talked about this in a previous podcast, how to eat healthy on a budget. It can be done, but you have to do a little planning. You got to plan out your meals a little bit, decide ahead of time so your food doesn't go bad. You know, go to ewg.org so you can figure out which are the dirty fruits, right? The dirty dozen and stuff that you don't want to buy non-organic. And then the ones that the clean 15, I forget what they call it, clean 15 or something, where it's the fruits, vegetables that it's okay to buy non-organic because you're not eating the skin anyway, right? Like an avocado, you're not going to eat the skin or an orange or, you know, that kind of thing that comes with a shell. You're not eating that so you can afford to not do organic. But if it's a berry, heaven forbid, strawberries, raspberries, like these are literally coated with pesticides, super high levels of pesticides. I think among the highest of anything in the whole EWG's research, that's the Environmental Working Group, I think it was strawberries or raspberries. One of the berries had the highest level of pesticides when they were non-organic. So if you're going to get berries, which I love, 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 I only buy organic berries. And if they don't have organic, I just don't buy the berries. I'm not convinced that I can get that crap off with washing and things like that. So, so anyway, I digress again. But eat real food, avoid overeating, because when you overeat, that taxes your mitochondria and also causes more inflammation. So it damages the mitochondria, it causes more inflammation, and it decreases the production of new mitochondria. And this was kind of one of the cool things we were talking about this week in this uh, IFM or Institute for Functional Medicine course on energy. It's called bioenergetics. And, and talking all about mitochondria really is that when you eat too much, not only do you cause inflammation, but you actually decrease the production with this uh, PGC1-alpha. That, that has a lot to do with the production of more mitochondria. It's decreased when you overeat. And when you eat too many carbohydrates and um, fructose, we talked about that already, <laughs> refined carbs, decreases that. But when you eat less, either in the form of some sort of caloric restriction that's been shown to have longevity, longevity benefits, or what I just do, I don't really focus on the restriction part. I focus on narrowing the window a little bit. I do a little bit of an intermittent fast most days per week. Every day I do about a 12-hour. That's even on the weekends. But on the other days, I do somewhere between 13 and 16 hours, like five days a week. And then I still eat the same amount of calories that I would normally eat, you know, but I just do it in a narrower window, say eight to nine hours. I'm eating all my two or three meals and snacks included in that time frame. And that's been shown also to improve mitochondrial health. So in other words, it decreases inflammation and also increases what we were just talking about, the... Um, the PGC1-alpha, which increases the growth of new mitochondria. You can actually grow new mitochondria. So quick way to do it is just narrowing the window a little bit. And you got to experiment with this. I've done a few podcasts on intermittent fasting. Everybody's a little bit different, especially the ladies out there. I feel like really don't push it as hard. Like some people want this merit badge, like, oh, I eat all my food and four hours or, or some people now they do the, the OMAD diet, right? The one meal a day diet. And I, I'm just not quite convinced that that's the right way to eat for everybody. I think we're all different, so different. So pick what works for you. I've just decided that in my personal experience and with many others that I've worked with, most people can tolerate a 12 hour overnight fast with basically no significant bad side effects. Um, obviously talk it over with your doctor, your healthcare provider. If you are a diabetic already on insulin, you're going to have to be cognizant of that. And so definitely discuss this with your healthcare provider. And of course, as always, nothing that I'm talking about doing or sharing is medical advice. This is just helpful information. It's education and entertainment. So, so definitely discuss with your provider. But what I found is that most of us can do a 12-hour overnight, what I call a circadian fast, because we weren't designed to eat all night anyway, right? We came from thousands of years of ancestry, literally millennia, where we never ate overnight because there just wasn't any food laying around. There wasn't a pantry. There wasn't a convenience store. There wasn't anything open at night, and we couldn't store our food overnight because some other scavenger would come and get it from us, and, and so we didn't really have any anything sitting around, right? We'd get up in the morning, then take us a couple hours to find our next meal. So we were naturally doing this pattern of a intermittent fasting or what's really called the time-restricted feeding 
for millennia, and then it changed with the advent of convenience stores and snack foods, really. Because when I was a kid, I did it too, without even knowing it. We didn't even have a word for it back then. We did like a 14-hour overnight fast because that's just what we did. We didn't snack, and the kitchen was closed every night at about 5 p.m. after dinner. And that was it. Didn't open again until 7 or or so in the morning the next day. So that was a 14-hour window I did, and I didn't have any idea that I was even doing it. It was just the way that we lived. So narrowing the window of feeding, that uh, time-restricted feeding or intermittent fasting actually helps improve the mitochondria that you've got and also increases the production of new mitochondria. Like I said, this PGC1-alpha goes up with intermittent fasting and with caloric restriction because it's saying, hey, I'm not being bombarded all day long with food substrate, I need to produce more mitochondria. So when I do get that food substrate, I'm ready and I can pump out the energy that we need. And so it actually increases the number of mitochondria. So the biogenesis of new mitochondria happens when we do these healthy practices like time-restricted feeding, uh, caloric restriction to some degree, and just eating the real food, right? Limiting the ones that aren't good, the highly processed grains, flours, carbs, especially the fructose and the high fructose corn syrup. We've talked about that ad nauseum. So throw that stuff away. (laughs) And then quality foods also will help. These are the stuff that we talked about at the beginning, like from Dr. Mercola's book, right? The healthy fats, also the healthy proteins, the grass-fed, pasture-raised beefs and chickens and whatever you guys like to eat for your meat. For me, I love wild-caught salmon and ahi and all the good stuff that comes here in Hawaii name, ahi-mahi, that they can all get locally. I love that stuff. And that is also a great source of energy for the mitochondria. Eggs as well. Eggs are some of my favorite. I, I literally think eggs are kind of like the natural superfood, right? Like the, if there's a superfood for an animal food, it's going to be a steak and eggs. Like that's, right? Steak and eggs. Isn't that amazing? Like that's literally an animal superfood. For plants, there's lots of cool superfoods. And we'll talk a little bit about some of them today, which include like the berries that we've already talked about because they have tons of antioxidants like that fancy stuff called resveratrol that people are now trying to manufacture in a supplement and get us to buy it, you know, because of the books that have been written on its longevity uh, help and things like that. Thank you, David Sinclair. You're amazing. But, you know, you don't have to buy the resveratrol from David Sinclair or from some other place on Amazon. Like just eat the berries, right? Like you don't have to buy the supplement, just eat the berries. So, um, The other cool thing, they have the right kinds of proteins, right? They have the L-carnitine, which is helpful for the mitochondria that comes in meat. Uh, Omega-3s, you know, come in the fish, salmon, uh, mackerel, tuna. Uh, We talked about the berries that have the resveratrol. Also, one of my favorites, dark chocolate, too, has these antioxidants. So dark chocolate can be included there. Alpha-lipoic acid is also great for mitochondrial health, and this can come from the dark leafy greens, right? The the kale and the... (laughs) spinach and this kind of stuff. I love the Brussels and the um, asparagus. Um, Alpha lipoic acid is amazing. I actually started a couple years back taking a supplement that has alpha lipoic acid because of this mitochondrial benefit. And my wife will tell you like, holy crap, like we're never going back. We feel so good, like with enhanced energy and, and enhanced gut health. And I mean, we, we're bouncing off the walls. And I know right now she's in the stage of her life. She's just launched a new website. Uh, shout out to my wife, Brooke. She's amazing, doing so much stuff, but it's like she's go, 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 and she's doing it, and she's able to do it because of this improved mitochondrial function, improved gut health that she's experiencing from both the supplements she takes that have alpha-lipoic acid, as well as her dietary habits, which her favorite one ever and lifestyle habit is exercise. So we're going to get into that because not only it's one of my favorites, like exercise is one of the things for me in my life that it literally on a dime can not only change my mindset, my energy, my approach, my emotion. I think Tony Robbins is quoted as saying, the quality of your life depends on the quality of your emotions. And literally the quickest way that I know of to change your emotion is to do some exercise. Like if you're feeling down, you're feeling crappy like that day back in November, last year where I literally lost my entire book manuscript. I mean, I wanted to scream four-letter obscenities ad nauseum, and I decided, you know what? I'm going to take a couple deep breaths of air. I went outside for like 15 minutes, and I was in Florida at the time, and the waves were tiny, but I went out and surfed for like 10 or 15 minutes, caught a couple of waves, and I came back after having done some exercise, had some 
outdoor, you know, nature exposure, vitamin N, as I like to call it, right? I got my movement, my N, my nature, a little bit of vitamin D, and I got some movement just exercising, and that literally changed my whole approach. These, um, that mechanism of exercise or movement is one of the best things for your mitochondria. And to the person who doesn't understand mitochondria, doesn't understand energy, it's, it appears at superficial level to defy the law of physics. It does not defy a law of physics, okay? The law of physics says that matter cannot be, uh, or energy cannot be created nor destroyed. Um, matter cannot be, you know, can only change forms, right? That's how it goes, can only change forms. And so what happens is people think, well, if I'm tired, why the heck would I want to exercise? Because that'll use up my energy and I'll have even less energy. Well, actually in humans, it doesn't work that way. In the law of energy and mass and conservation of matter is, is, is still happening, but we... We just need to look at the whole big picture, right? And what happens in the body is that when we exercise, our mitochondria are like, they're clapping, right? They're, they're going bananas. They love it. They, <laughs> they love it when we're exercising because they get excited. And when they see that we are doing exercise, not only do they function better and burn cleaner and more efficiently, but they also get stimulated. They get that uh, PGC-1 alpha going, which tells them to make more mitochondria. So they make more of it. They use better and more efficiently the mitochondria that you've got, produce more energy, and then they make even more mitochondria. So one of the best stimulants to produce more energy, to produce more of these power plants, these powerhouses of the cell, is actually exercise. So that's how, that's how the magic happens. That's why you feel so much more enthused, energized. Obviously, the blood flow increases and, and all that. The oxygen delivery to the brain, the heart, the, all the places you need it goes up as well. But what's happening long-term, the reason why you can do exercise and then do more of it is because you're actually producing more mitochondria. And this can happen through really any kind of exercise. Nowadays, we're looking more at the strength training or the resistance training because not only does that help spike the the increase in mitochondrial production, but also in muscle, right? And the more muscle mass you have, that's going to be better for your metabolism, right? That muscle is so highly dense energetically that you can burn more calories there than any other tissue in the body. So it's important. The more muscle we have, it's been shown basically to help us be healthier, especially as we age. And the quicker we lose our muscle as we age, the quicker our health declines. So it's so important to increase maintain and not lose muscle as we age, right? The, the curse of sarcopenia, I've talked about it many times, is that we lose muscle mass as we age if we don't do anything. And that's not good. And in fact, that's the other reason that, that you may or may not have seen her, but my daughter bounces around, has energy and zip and zap in her step because she is always moving. Like we often like to blame our metabolism and say, oh, you know, I'm 40 now, I'm 30 now, I'm 50 now, I'm 60 now. My metabolism just doesn't work well. Well, actually the data says, eh, sorry, right? It's going to do this. The data does not agree with you there. Your metabolism does not significantly slow down until well after 60 years of age. The person that slows down, are you ready for it? The person that slows down is you. You slow down. I slow down. That's the reason our metabolism isn't the same as when we were four, like my little daughter here that was running around, because we have changed. Or actually, our metabolism has not changed appreciably, at least over the first 60 years of life. And that's, that's been published. That's the most recent data out there. We can't blame our metabolism, at least until we're 60. Then after that, maybe it declines a little, but not a lot. And so the way that we can pep that up is with increasing our muscle mass, increasing our movement, increasing our resistance training, right? Look what I got here. Like, like literally no joke. I have like, I'm like almost tripping over. I have like five different weights at the base of my standing desk. I'm standing right now doing this podcast. I'm lifting weights, moving around because when I do that, <laughs> you guys are laughing at me on YouTube. I feel better. I feel more energized, but also it increases my energy. It increases my mitochondria because of this PGC1 alpha I grow more mitochondria. My mitochondria work better. I get more of them. I get more muscle mass. It's a win, 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 win. Also, heat and cold, right? You guys have heard of the cold plunge and the sauna. They're both really good for helping grow more mitochondria and making it more efficient, right? There's this whole oxidative phosphorylation process that gets better through heat, through sauna. And right now, 
I feel like I'm living in a sauna all day long in Hawaii. This um, winter coming up, I'm going to be spending most of my time uh, probably in Utah because my, I don't know if you guys have heard, but both my mom and my stepmom have been recently diagnosed with bad cancer, metastatic cancer. And so I'm going to be there closer to them for the next couple of months. And over there, I'll have access over the winter to some cold therapy, right? It gets cold in Utah. There's mountains there and it gets freezing every night. So I'll have some cold options available. Uh, also where we stay there, we have a hot tub. So I get my hot therapy in Hawaii. I don't have a hot tub or a cold plunge, but I do have, you know, 80 plus degrees every day that I'm here. So that's kind of my hot, my heat. <laughs> it's pretty easy to overheat here. Um, and uh, occasionally I'll try to do, I'll, I'll do often just a cold shower as cold as it'll get, which is not super cold, but I got to improvise a little bit, right? So sauna is great as well. Cold plunge or cryo ice, ice, you know, making your own ice bath. That actually is good for this uh, PGC1 alpha. It increases the growth. That's the signal to increase the growth of the mitochondria as well. Also, the stuff that I love to talk about, I've done several podcasts on it, just stress optimization, being able to take a deep breath and be able to change our mindset, our energy, doing those techniques like meditation. And for me, guys, you guys know me, I'm so like bouncing off the walls active. I, I could hardly sit still for 30 minutes to do meditation, but I do it in shorter bursts. I do it for five or 10 or 15 minutes. I, I rarely do 30 minutes or more. I just, I haven't felt like I could really incorporate that into my life at this point with the six kids and all the different work that I'm doing and whatnot. I, I haven't done significant um, meditation at longer intervals, but I do shorter intervals and it's amazing. It's, I do longer intervals maybe while I'm surfing and, and just really focusing on nature and breathing and that sort of thing. But, but the, that, whatever you can do, five minutes has even been shown to be helpful. Whatever helps you to get a good grounding of yourself and your emotions through whether it be meditation, whether it be gratitude, whether it be just breathing exercises, right? Whatever it is for me, it's I do all of the above out in nature. I just, I can't help myself. I love to be outside. And so getting our stress hormones under control and balanced and releasing the good anti-stress hormones like oxytocin, which I've talked a lot about in the past, you know, through cuddling of your favorite uh, canine or feline friend, you know, or, or another human, right? A family member, a friend, a spouse, a kid. And I love to get hugs, you know, and so that I know by the science increases my oxytocin and that's like the best anti-stress hormone out there. The other thing, which we've already talked about a bit, I'm not going to belabor it now, but one of the final things that, that really helps mitochondrial health is just our sleep, right? I talked about that towards the beginning because I really feel like our sleep is a reflection of our total overall body health. And so getting that seven or eight hours of quality sleep is crucial. It actually protects the brain, right? We need that time to flush out all the byproducts of the day, right? The amyloid that might build up, the tau protein that might build up, whatever toxins that we might have been exposed to, we need to take out the trash and do the flush. And that essentially only happens while we sleep. So thank you, Dr. Jeffrey Illiff and Nattergaard um, from University of Rochester who came out with that discovery 2012, 10 years ago exactly, which has been earth shattering for me because I never learned why we needed to sleep in medical school. We didn't really know that. We knew what happened when you didn't sleep, but we didn't really know why you needed to. Now we do, and I love and cherish and value my sleep way more than I ever did. And uh, one of the reasons is I just feel so dang good, right? Because my mitochondria, they can rejuvenate, refresh, replenish, and grow at night while we sleep and all the trash can get taken out, which is so dang important. So... At the end of the day, the principles of mitochondrial health are really like the principles of overall health. We've talked about them, right? Getting our food dialed in, eating real food, avoiding the crap that we talked about, the highly processed grains, flour, sugars, fructose, and of course, the seed oils. I talk about them ad nauseum. Avoid them. Avoid the toxins out there in our environment. We didn't really focus on that too much on this podcast, but I've done others. But we are exposed every day to a ton of toxins without even thinking of it in our food primarily, but also through the EMFs that we're exposed to. If we're walking around with AirPods all the time, or we never turn our phone on airplane mode, or we never turn it off while we sleep, we're getting extra EMF radiation. Um, a lot of the water that we drink, like you can actually find out what the water quality is like where you live. I tend to use one of those Berkey filters also, even though living in Hawaii, living in Utah, Florida, we actually have some pretty good local water, but I still 
like to make sure I use one of those Berkey filters. I'm not sponsored by them or anything, but I found that I, I just value what goes into my body and I want to make sure it's clean and it's natural and it's free of toxins. So paying attention to the toxins, I, I don't like to touch those receipts at the grocery store. And if I do, I try not to touch the ink because that stuff has phyto, uh, not phyto, but um, the uh, sort of estrogen-like uh, compounds that can be affecting our hormones, right? They can disrupt hormone. The endocrine disruptors, they're found all over. They're found in plastics and BPA and those receipts from the grocery store. Most time I just say, please just keep the receipt. I don't need it. Um, that kind of thing, because the toxins are all around us. So if we can avoid them, also the heavy metals, a lot of people don't talk about that, but heavy metals, I got to watch out for that because I love to eat fish. So I only eat wild caught and I only eat, you know, a couple times a year when I'm in Hawaii, I eat fish. When I'm elsewhere, I really don't eat fish. So that's kind of how I regulate. Um, the hormesis activities that we talked about, right? The stresses of the body that are good, like exercise, resistance training, hot and cold therapies. Those are all really good at boosting your mitochondria, both its activity, efficiency, and growing new mitochondria. Yes, I've said that a bunch of times in this podcast. You can grow new mitochondria. It's amazing. Also through intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding, some caloric restriction as well. And huh, my favorite, of course, is exercise i just i can't get enough exercise um i don't go crazy like i don't do like i do some interval stuff my wife kind of crushes me at that i'll be honest she loves orange theory and i'll go with her when i can and that's like interval training from you know hades that stuff is gnarly and i love it i do it but um, it's not my favorite i'll just be honest <laughs> i'd rather go surfing or skiing or snowboarding or mountain biking or Heck, I just love to do some pull-ups, you know, and I love just body weight resistance stuff. There's so many of those things you can do at home without a gym. Like I can just do air squats here. I can do burpees. I can do, you know, my favorite is the plank. You know, do that a few times a day. Like these things are just body weight exercises that we can all do. And guess what? You can grow more mitochondria doing it. Who knew, right? So these simple daily things, starting with the most simple, what ends up in our mouth and in our body, what's on the tip of our fork, super important. Pay attention to that. Eat real food. Get your daily movement in. Get adequate sleep. Get it done. Get that awesome sleep. I love to talk about sleep. I hardly talked about it at all this podcast, but I did a couple right before. The sleep is so paramount, so important, and I ignored it for many years, but I now have repented. I love the value of it, and I just love, love, love to talk about it. So do these things and avoid the crap, avoid the toxins, and you're going to be so energized, so pumped up. You're going to be starting to bounce around here just like uh, I'm doing right now and that I'm trying to follow the example of my little four-year-old. So until next time, guys, a big aloha.